Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Naomi Rovnik. Life-threatening allergic reactions are on the rise, particularly in Western countries like the UK, Canada and the US. So what is causing this and how should the business and medical worlds respond? Maya Palmer put these questions to Julianne Ponan, founder of Creative Nature, and to allergy experts Adam Fox and Tari Hartler. Julianne, can I start with you? You are an anaphylactic yourself, and this was one of the reasons that you actually started Creative Nature, if I'm correct. Yeah, I suffer from a lot of different allergies, such as peanuts, lentils, chickpeas, all tree nuts, coconut, sesame. So a lot of the top 14 allergens that are out there. And that must make life incredibly difficult. It has over the years, because when I first had allergies, there was not really a free-from aisle in store. There was nowhere to go to get specifically top 14 allergen free so my mum had to make everything from scratch really which is how I grew up knowing what I could and couldn't eat and especially going abroad anywhere it was a no-go for me. So what then led you to start your own company to make these kind of snacks? The fact that there wasn't anything out there I wanted to eat healthy feel good and everything healthy out there contains nuts or sesame or seeds and I can't have any one of those. So I wanted to create something that other people like me can actually feel safe and it's a trusted brand with someone who can die from eating a product like that. And did you find that there was instantly a big market for this? I think when we started in 2012, the free from industry was just starting to boom. However, they still didn't get the taste right. So I developed recipes that I could have. And I think it's set to grow to 673 million, the freeform industry alone in the UK by 2020. Let's talk about the rise of these allergies. If I can bring you in here, Adam Fox, are you seeing a lot more patients coming to your surgeries, to your clinic with specifically food allergies now? We've seen a really significant rise, but it's not so recent. It's been going on for a long time. If you look at the research around it, of course, there's always the possibility that this is just better reporting, that people recognise that they've got food allergies. But I think the data is pretty clear that even in specifically UK populations, a good example is the Isle of Wight. There's an excellent allergy research centre there. They demonstrated that through the 1990s, over the course of around 10 years, a trebling in the amount of positive testing to peanut, and that usually reflects peanut allergy anyway. So really significant changes in a remarkably short period of time. So the interesting question is then why? Why are we seeing such a big rise recently? There's no quick and easy answer. I think the traditional answer was people would um, refer to the hygiene hypothesis. So the idea that if our kids are cleaner, have less contact with disease when they're little, then their immune systems don't mature very quickly and develop inappropriate responses, so allergic responses to things. It doesn't really stand up when you look at lots of other studies. And of course, you go to parts of the world like Switzerland, where very low rates of infection amongst young children, very low infant mortality rates, but not particularly high rates of allergy either. Whereas if you look at where it does have very high rates of allergy, it quickly becomes apparent that there's clearly something cultural going on. Top of the list of who's got the most allergies, UK, Canada, Australia, geographically very disparate parts of the world, but culturally very, very similar. I think there's almost certainly a multitude of different reasons that have come together. If it was one single thing, I think we'd know what it was by now. But one of the really fascinating theories at the moment is all around our gut bacteria. And 
changes in the way that that bacteria have developed over time, more people, for example, being born in hospital rather than at home, changes in diet, changes in weaning, less breastfeeding, all of those things are contributing towards what's been a perfect storm that's led to an enormous upsurge in food allergy. Let's go into the research and science side of that a little bit more. And at this point, I want to bring in Tari, who was lead in this study, which looked at children in Finnish and Russian Karelia, which I think seemed to support, if I'm correct the hygiene hypothesis that it's this contact with perhaps farms and nature and dirt. Am I summarizing that correctly, Tari? The hygiene hypothesis is speaking about infections and especially viral infections and uh, that they could be protective against development of allergy, but this is not really a question of viral infections and in that respect the hygiene hypothesis was wrong. But when we compared the Finnish and Russian Karelia, it was very, very interesting that when we take the little bit older generations, like myself, I'm born in 46, and when we compare the adults on both sides of the border, and they are genetically very close to each other, we did not see any difference in terms of food allergy, sensitization, or, for example, hay fever. But when we come to adults who are born in 1980s, there is a manifold difference between the Finnish and Russian populations. So there is almost a linear increase on the Finnish side in terms of sensitization to hay fever, asthma and food allergy when this did not happen on the Russian side. It's kind of a living laboratory which tells us that something has happened mostly after the Second World War that these populations are taking two different routes. And was it just that, because Russian Karelia, obviously, it wasn't developed very much by the Soviet Union after the Second World War. People led rural lifestyles with close contact with animals and that sort of thing. Is that one of the things that is the the big difference there? Yeah. During the Soviet time, the Russian Karelia was left undeveloped. They were producing much of their food themselves, and this was not the case anymore on the Finnish side when urbanization took place. So is there anything that we can do based on the research that we have? Is it possible to reintroduce some of those protective bacteria? Yes, because if this is not genetically predetermined to be food allergic or or asthmatic, it means that the, the real reasons are the changes in lifestyle, changes in environment, and basically we could take the step from treatment to prevention, and most of allergies are in fact preventable, and this is good news. Can I bring Dr. Fox in at this point? What do you do in your clinics? Are you taking a prevention strategy or treatment or both? So there's a whole range of potential approaches to this. I think one of the frustrations around this work around microbes is that it's beyond complex And our understanding is very much in its infancy. So certainly people are looking at that. But the other prevention strategies going on are looking particularly around the age of weaning. So there's now a significant body of evidence around early introduction of specific allergens such as peanut or egg into the infant weaning diet. Because it seems that earlier introduction can protect in high risk kids. And there's a lot of work going into exploring options of treating children who have got allergies already, looking at what we call desensitisation. So ways of giving small but increasing amounts of the allergen as a way of making them less sensitive. 
And I think there was some news recently about there being some success with introducing small amounts of peanut to children, which meant that it wasn't that they could then go and eat a whole bag of peanuts, but at least the sort of real acute danger of anaphylactic shock was reduced. Yeah, there was the results published in the New England Journal of Medicine of a large multi-centre study trialling exactly that, small increasing amounts. And we're now probably only a year or two away from the FDA saying, yes, actually get on and do this. Would that work for someone like Julianne? Well, I think the first thing is is recognising the limitations of the treatments. As you've said, it's not you can eat a bag of peanuts. What it is is a programme that involves a significant amount of risk because you're giving people with an allergy the thing that they're allergic to, but under very controlled circumstances, very small increasing amounts. And at the end of that, it should give you enough protection that you can tolerate a small exposure without having a reaction. But you need to maintain the treatment. And as soon as you stop it, within a few weeks, you can be allergic again. Well, I want to ask Julianne about that. I mean, how do you feel as someone who's had to spend your whole life dealing with multiple allergies? I mean, is there anything in that research that kind of feels like it gives you hope? Or do you think you would maintain just this, just avoid things and cook things from scratch and make sure that you maintain that control? I think it's great progress. I would personally want to try it because my biggest fear is going on an airplane where you can't get out. People eat nuts on airplanes, whether you tell them not to. My allergy is airborne as well, so with peanuts in particular. And they open the peanut on flight, which means I could have a severe reaction if I'm sitting next to the person. So going back to Dr Fox for a second, tell me about some of these really severe cases. Are they still a very small proportion of the total allergies you're seeing? There are actually a very significant number of people who have very real allergies. There are groups of people who have cross-reactivity. So they tend to be sort of teenagers and adults who are allergic to pollen, like birch pollen. And because of that, they'll start getting tingly sensation in their mouth when they eat apples. That is completely distinct to certainly the majority of the kids that I see who have what we call the immediate type allergies, which is the ones that can potentially lead to anaphylaxis. In very reliable and robust studies, we're talking about up to 5% of UK kids having one of these sorts of allergies, most commonly to milk or egg, which are typically outgrown, but also increasingly commonly peanuts, tree nuts. You know, tree nut allergies alone affect one in 50 kids. It's, it's common now. In Australia, they've reported rates of up to 11% in childhood populations. Now, thankfully, only a tiny number of that group will have very severe reactions, and an incredibly small number will have fatal reactions. But the problem is, is that you cannot predict which one of those children is going to have that severe reaction. So actually, any of them have to have it in their mind that in the wrong circumstances, on the wrong day, with a big dose of bad luck, they could potentially have a life-threatening reaction. Will they typically progress? It's an urban myth. It's one that I hear an enormous amount about, and it's one that causes an enormous amount of unnecessary anxiety, because somebody will have a mild to moderate reaction and be convinced that the next one is therefore going to kill them predictably how bad your reaction is is going to depend on how much you accidentally eat of course you're going to have more likelihood of a severe reaction if you have a large amount of peanut if you're allergic to it to if you have a very small amount you're more likely to have a bad reaction if you're already under the weather with a snotty nose and wheezy compared to if you're completely well but then there's also a whole range of other factors that will influence it whether you've been exercising whether you've had any alcohol and then in fairness there's a lot of randomness about it these reactions are inherently unpredictable so it's interesting, it might come back to that kind of cultural thing that we were talking about earlier, that perhaps it is if these very severe allergies are growing in the Anglo-Saxon world, maybe that is a different origin or a cause. Yeah, I mean, we, when you speak to Southern European allergy doctors, 
their practice is dominated by people who have these cross-reactive things where they're allergic to a pollen and then they get reactions because of that whereas if you go further north or, or to australia it's very much dominated by the more severe immediate type reactions what i'd like to do to conclude is really to ask all of you what do we urgently need to know or, or, or do now i think we need a concerted public health effort around a number of areas including funding good research around allergy prevention and i'm really pleased to hear that defra through the food standards agency are having a consultation um, it's coming up in the next few weeks around food labeling that we really urgently need to address and tally what do you see should be the next step we have a project which just started what we call the natural step to well-being and that is taking place in daycare that means more fresh vegetables and fruits less meat it is zero tolerance to food waste and more contacts to nature and physical exercise this is first taking place in four finnish cities and it's a controlled open trial and if it a success then it will be enlarged to all daycare in Finland so that is the kind of a public health uh, approach then I fully agree with Dr. Fox that with those who do have the danger of severe responses and the fear of anaphylaxis the oral immunotherapy with the food itself is the most successful way now to treat this subject And Julianne, what do you think, both personally and as a founder of a company that's obviously supplying some of these foods, where do you think we should go with making life easier for people with food allergies? Education to the public. It really needs to be addressed in schools. There needs to be nut bans across all schools. And also the fact that airlines, they really need to start addressing what they're taking on board. Are you talking to any of the airlines about this? This seems like a good business opportunity to me. We've actually just confirmed launching with BA. Well, I'm afraid we're going to have to stop there. Thanks for joining us. Clearly a lot more to do on allergy, but we've made a start at demystifying some of it. This podcast is part of our series on the future of food and agriculture and is supported by Rabobank. That was Maya Palmer talking to Julianne Ponen, Adam Fox and Tari Hartler. We'll be back with another news feature tomorrow. In the meantime, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, do take a look at our latest subscription offer at ft.com offer.